You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. That hurts. All right. I'm going to read some quotes. And um, my guess is that you probably won't know who they're from unless you're at least over the age of 50. That's not a bad thing. But um, I want to read them to you because I, I, when I heard these last night, I, I was like, gosh, this is awesome stuff. I never knew that this dude said this. I only knew that this dude said that. And I read what this dude said, and it was amazing stuff. And then I watched, I watched a speech on television on my computer, and it was very powerful. And um, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be speaking on, you know, like I said earlier, we connect we grow and we serve. That's our theme. We connect with people and God first. And then we're in a season of discipleship. We're talking about the importance of growing people. We just finished our first Wednesday night discipleship program. It was phenomenal. We had, you know, a couple hundred people come through. And we had four or five different, five or six different courses being offered. And uh, in several different areas. It was an amazing, amazing time. We had food out here. Great opportunity for fellowship. The staff did an amazing job of really setting the table for people at River City to come and, and work on and be a part of God growing their heart, God growing their mind. We began with worship every week, and we ended with ministry every week in all the groups. And there were some groups even outside of the church that did it. So well done. And it was amazing. It was an amazing deal. But that's grow, connect, grow, and serve is the third piece. And I'm going to be talking about serving. What does it look like to be a servant at River City Church, why would we want to serve? Why would we want to do that? That just makes me do stuff I don't want to do. That takes me away from the things that I like to do. Um, why would I do that? And this is kind of the beginning or kind of launching place for that talk, why we would want to do that. Um, but I want to talk about that a little bit today, um, serving, the importance of serving, but really the foundation for that uh, of why we serve. Um, the, the, here's the first quote. Raise your hand when you know who this is, Okay quote, here's the quote, the belief that the rights of man cannot, of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Okay. Okay. Right here. He's over 50. I think just a little bit, maybe 50 and a half, just a 50 and a half right there. Okay. Anybody else know who that's from? One person, one person so far, two. All right. Okay. Here we go. Here's the next quote. This will give you a little bit better hint. The wor- I mean, that's an amazing quote, isn't it? The belief that the rights of man, that our innate rights, our value, does not come from what our government says. It comes from what God says about who we are. That's what that quote means. Powerful quote. Okay, here's the next quote. The world is, a very, very, the world is very, very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. Raise your hand if you know. Another one, one. Another two people in the group. That's an amazing. Basically, the person is saying, look, guys, we hold in our hands. The world is a different place. It is in our hands now. If we desire, if we can make this happen to, to, to abolish all poverty, there's enough resource in the world. We have enough know-how in the world. If we choose to, we can abolish all poverty. But we also have in our possession the ability to destroy the world. Okay, so two, two people. That's pretty good. I mean, not really, but I'm just wanting you to feel encouraged. I, if you would have read those to me before last night, I wouldn't have known who they're from. Here's the third one. And everyone's getting, a lot of people raise your hands unless you're like maybe 25 or below. 
Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what your church can do for you, people. But ask instead what you can do for your church. That's the theme of the next three talks. John F. Kennedy, inaugural address on a very, very cold winter morning where they almost canceled it. Some people believe this is one of the shortest addresses. Some people believe it's one of the best. I haven't read the most powerful verse yet, though, or the most powerful quote yet. And this is what Kennedy said. This is how he ended this speech. Let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing, asking God's blessing, asking his help, but knowing that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. Powerful stuff. That's what it means to be in the church and to be plugged in and to be serving and to be growing. If you wanna grow, if you wanna serve, if you wanna understand and receive the blessings and the benefit of being a believer in Jesus Christ, that's where it begins. And those last two questions, not coming as a consumer saying, Church, you owe me this. You deserve, I deserve this. Make worship this way. Turn the worship down. Turn the worship up. Stop the kids running here. You know, teach more on Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Antley, you're not feeding me. I'm not your daddy, all right? That's the Lord's responsibility. When we come to church, the right question is not, what can you do for me? The right question is, we really seek to be believers of Jesus Christ, is what can I do to build your kingdom, God. And it begins with the belief, all of us, that our greatest purpose on this earth, like Kennedy said, is to be doing the work of God on earth now as it is in heaven. Who else said that? My homeboy, Jesus. (laughs) Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kennedy plagiarized that last line. It says that he sought ministers that day he went to church. And he was asking ministers advice on what he should say to the nation. And we see pictures of Isaiah coming through. We see the gospel coming through. We see this reality that Kennedy plugged into that he knew we were built for. And that was, we were not built to be served. We were built to serve. We were not built to constantly being receiving and consuming, but instead being a people group as the church that's giving, that's sacrificing. And in that place, we find life, we find hope, we find joy, we find meaning. You know, when I was a kid, um, I lived in South Florida, I grew up in Palm Beach County, and I went through one major hurricane. I'm not sure which one it was, because I was a kid. Don't judge me, and I'm not good with history. But anyway, um, I remember boarding up our house, and like, we're gonna wait this one out. I was in South Florida, you know, two miles from the coast. And uh, we boarded all the windows up, and I remember being in there in the dark, you know, and there's no electricity because it got wiped out and this storm's raging outside. And I mean, as a kid, I'm like, this is like the biggest sport ever. This is awesome. I love hurricanes. It's amazing. I remember thinking, like talking to my parents about like, hurricanes are really good, aren't they? I mean, they're fun. I like hurricanes. My parents like explaining to me, like, no, there's like devastation. There's destruction going on out there. There's bad stuff happening. We're just, we're sheltered. We're protected. 
And, and, and I'm like, I don't believe it. He goes, yeah, I'll show you. And so then, you know, what happens is the eye of the storm moves over and over, literally comes over our house. It's a huge eye. It comes over our house. My dad says, okay, you can go out and play. And I go out there and I'm like, see, there's nothing going on. This is awesome. Why are people hiding from this? This is amazing. And he says, and he was explaining to me, he said, son, this is the calm. This is the eye of the storm. He says, we're getting ready to experience the back half of it, which will be the most powerful, be the most destructive. And, and I just remember as a kid, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't get a, my hands around that. And I was thinking about this talk. I was like, why, could, why was I struggling to understand the destructiveness of this storm? And it was because I felt so safe. I felt so safe with my family. You see, that's the way the church should be. The reality is of this world is that there's a storm going on. There is devastation happening in people's lives. There's destruction. There are things raging and destroying people's lives. And Jesus comes and says, church, be my refuge, be my strength. Create an environment, regardless of what's happening out in the world, that invites people in to feel safe, that invites people in to a refuge. You know, Jesus tells us, he says, he says, on this side of heaven, this isn't exactly what Jesus says, it's something like this though. John, it's in the gospel of John, I'll see what he says. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may always have peace in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Where can people experience that reality when there's a storm in their life? Here. This is the place. Church is the place where people should come and feel rest, should feel hope, should feel safe. That what happens here, as we are the church, as we become the church, not in this building, but in this family, in this community, that people come to us and find rest and hope. And Jesus tells us that until that day comes, Until heaven comes, this is the way it's going to be. Expect suffering. It's normal in life. We sing about it every week. I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. There will be an end to the trouble, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise. That's what we sing. We sing that song all the time. How can someone, how can we expect someone and the storms of this life to praise God. You can't on your own. You can't. Some of you just might have felt some destruction as I was singing. <laughs> I don't know why I went falsetto like that. Because I have a very beautiful voice. There will be a day that is coming. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But, I mean, how can we... We can't expect people to praise God if they're going through heartache and pain tragedy and loss seriously but that's almost how we treat people and the church has ceased being a place of refuge the church has ceased being a place that's safe the church has ceased being you know ceased being a place that welcomes in that comforts i mean do we believe that we really can actually raise these children we dedicated today that we can be a church that raises them up to not only be safe, not only avoid harm, not only survive physically, but that we somehow, that God has empowered us through his spirit as his family 
to equip these children to choose his kingdom over theirs, building his kingdom over theirs, because they believe that that is where life is. They believe that their responsibility is to not ask, what can I get from God, but rather, what can I give? Is that possible? It is. It is possible. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't possible. Through Christ, it's possible. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is doing, I hear stories all the time from families who tell me what their kids are experiencing through the children's ministry, through River City Church. Just recently, I was, um, I was with somebody and they said, Antley, you're not gonna believe what happened. They said, my son was uh, at school and my wife went to pick him up and the, the teacher said, oh, there's a parent here who wants to talk to you. And the, and, and the mom's like, oh, brother, what did my son? You know, that, that gut, they're like, oh, oh, my gosh. Did they stab him with a pencil in the neck? You know, did they pluck out an eye, rip off an ear? I mean, what did he do? And, and so the parent's like, oh, here we go. And so they meet this, the, the teacher introduces them. And the, the, the mother of this other child in the classroom says, hey, I just want to tell you that um, your son uh, told, was talking to my son about reading the Bible and how the Bible, you know, how he reads the Bible and how, and he goes, and, and she said, she said, I don't, I don't even have a Bible. I don't even have a Bible. And she said, what really impacted him was that the other day, my son was on the playground and he was having a bad day. And your son on the playground came up to him and laid his hand on his shoulder and asked, can I pray for you? And prayed for him and said, I, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. This is like kindergartner. Kindergartner. And, 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 then, the, and then this person said, you know, Aunt Lee, they, they said, we are from a fundamental Baptist background. There is no way our children would be wired that way if it wasn't for what God's done in our life, in our children's life through River City Church. Now, again, that's not me tooting the River City Church horn. That's me giving you an example of a reality that exists, that we believe can exist in our life and the life of our children. We believe that God, through the power of his spirit, desires to come capture our hearts so that we can make a difference, so that we can be a family. You know, whenever we look at the different metaphors of the Bible, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But, you know, the church as an army, actually that's not a metaphor ever used in scripture that I've seen in the New Testament, but that's not a good one. When, it talks, when I'm talking about the foundation for acting and living and loving this way, Thinking of a flock of sheep, that doesn't do it for me either. Come and serve, we're a flock of sheep. That doesn't, that doesn't help. Or, or, or what about a bride or a, a body or a field, a harvest, a crop, a temple, a group of priests? Come and serve, we're a group of priests. No. A pillar, we are branches on the vine. No, those are all, those are all, are all pictures that people give us of what we are as the church. The best picture though, is the one of family. We are first a family. And within this picture of being a family, we find hope 
to offer people the kind of refuge that people long for. We offer people and our children opportunity to become who they can never be on their own as we engage in being a family. Paul says this in Ephesians. I just skipped the page. It says, 2.19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, in the household of God. That we are a family. We are a saint. You are a saint in the household of God. You are not a sinner, you know, struggling to be good. You are a saint bought with the blood of Christ who still sins in the family of God. That's who we are. That's who you are. Our hope is in what Christ has done for us, not what we're trying to do for him. How many of you, if I said, raise your hands, have given a testimony, don't raise your hands, of how the church has impacted you as a family, has moved close to you in tragedy? We have testimonies usually every week. We didn't have time today because of the the baptism or the dedications. But that's the reason people stay at RCC. It's because they've found hope in the family of God that exists here. And again, again, I can tell you story after story after story. My wife said, you should open it up. Let people come forward. I'm like, it's visitor service. No way. No way. But if you like RCC and you've enjoyed today's service, we would encourage you every week we do testimonies and you hear how God has changed lives through the power of the spirit in this church. Because we believe that is what's most important. That is what's most valuable. And Jesus sets a clear priority on the spiritual family over the biological family when he says this in Matthew 12, 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here, here are my mother, here are my, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, it's often that we will look at our family at home and try to say, oh, our church should be like that. And we think about how we exist and live with our children, the paradigm that we try to operate, you know, in with, you know, with our family at home. And we try to apply that to the church. Oh, I want to love all the children at the church like I love my children at home. No, 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 no. Jesus upside downs it. He flips it. He says, the church is the model for family. The church family is what you should be modeling your family after, not vice versa. How we treat each other, how we love each other, how we sacrifice, how we give, how we live together as a family should be so much greater, a much greater picture to the world than how we function that way as a biological family. I mean, that's what Jesus says. He places so much emphasis. He says, my brother, my mothers, my sisters and brothers are the ones who do the will of my father. This week I was reading... um, the book of Philemon, or Philemon, or Philemon, or whatever you want to say it. And um, Philemon was a, uh, it's one chapter long. It's a great story. Because the question of how we do this is a difficult one. Because it could be easily turned into just works. You know, we start to do all these things, and we think that that equals being a family of God. And that's not how it works. Because Christ has done this for us. It's focusing in on Christ, centering our life around Christ, as he changes our hearts 
Our desires change. As our desires change, then we naturally want to give and to serve the rest of the body. But anyway, the story of Philemon, 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 it's one of those weird names. I'm going to call him Phil. Okay, so Phil, Phil is this rich slaveholder, right? He's a rich slaveholder, and um, he works with Paul, and he becomes a Christian, okay? And so Philemon becomes a Christian who has slaves, and one of his slaves, his name is Onesimus. And Onesimus, we don't know why, but he flees from Philemon. He probably wants freedom. And so he runs away, and they think, based on this letter, that he probably took money because he would have needed money to travel. He would have needed money to, to pay some of the, the things that he would have had to have paid to get to Rome. And what happens is, is that Onesimus runs away, and he goes to this... Big metropolitan city, Rome, right? Biggest, you know, big metropolitan city. I mean, tons of people there. And what happens is, guess who he bumps into? Paul. Onesimus bumps into Paul. Coincidence? Probably not. He bumps into Paul, and Paul converts him into Christianity. All right? And Paul's in prison, and Onesimus then begins to serve Paul and give to Paul and set up Paul and work for the kingdom, building the kingdom. And so the letter of Philemon is a letter from Paul back to Philemon with the servant Onesimus carrying it. And he's asking Philemon, consider our brother in Christ. Consider this man who once was a servant to you. Consider him a brother now. Treat him as a family member now. Treat him with a different, in a different relationship than you had previously treated him. Because now he, is one of, he, he belongs to our family. And so you shouldn't treat him the same way. And we see that it's an amazing letter. You should definitely read it. But in this letter, at the very front end of it, Paul talks about, he says, grace and peace to you. And when we unpack those words, grace and peace, we often, because of our Western culture, look at them in very individualistic terms. We think of the grace that Jesus has given me. We think of the peace, the shalom that God desires for me to have in my life. But when we look at both of those words, the way grace is used usually in the New Testament is of a corporate grace, a grace and a love, a mercy, a grace that is extended to God's children, to his family. And when we look at shalom in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, we see that shalom is also a corporate word that's used. And so what Paul is beseeching, what he's begging Philemon to consider is this radical change of relationship in his family. He says, grace to your family and to you. Peace to you and your family. How will it happen? By receiving back Onesimus as a brother, transformed, renewed in Jesus Christ. You see, it's in Christ through Christ, when we begin to under this, understand the sacrifice that he has made for us, the grace that has been extended to us, yes, individually, the forgiveness that's attached to that grace, we then and only then are able to extend and offer that grace to other people. It's not about us coming up with plans and programs. It's about us coming to Jesus, him revealing to us, reminding us the great sacrifice that we didn't deserve, but that he gave us through the cross. 
And as we come to him and we experience his love, we experience his forgiveness in our life, then we're like, come on, baby. I want to give that goodness away. I want to give it away. And serving then becomes a joy because we, we understand the service that Christ has given us. Galatians 6.10 says this. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then we have opportunity. Let us, go, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. People who come into this family. I'm, I'm speaking about specifically River City Church. People who come into this family. We know are lonely. We know they're tired. We know they've been hurt. We know they're limping through life. They are in the midst of storm and confusion. And we are called as a church, we are called as a family to love people well, to not give up. Not because we can muster it up and we are disciplined enough and we can push through it, but because we love Jesus and we know his love for us. And we know that he is the best brother we could have. He is the best, you know, he takes us to the best father. He loves us unconditionally like our mother should in a way that she never could. That Jesus, he makes this possible in our life. And I, Again, there's no formula to this. It looks different for all of us. I was talking with someone this week. I mean, on one level, it's very simple. I was at this concert in the park this past week. There was a bunch of families there. And um, this woman who's close to me, who's loved, literally loved me like a mother, said, hey, I'm going to get ice cream. Anybody, any kids want ice cream? And, you know, Blake's like, Blake's, I mean, Blake's like, out of his seat following, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, I said, make sure you say thank you. You know, he comes back. I'm sure he did. But anyway, he comes back and this, this woman comes over to me and she said, she says this to me. And, and this is very simple, on a very simple level. She says to me, she said, she said, Antley, you're like my child. You're like, you're like one of my children. That makes your children my grandchildren. I mean, it just involved ice cream. But that statement is a truth that I've experienced in a real way from this person that makes me feel encouraged and loved. And if I'm lost or whatever, I know that I can go to this person. I mean, my mother died years ago. I could go to her and bring those same questions, those same issues, those same concerns that I would have to her. I talked to another person this week and they're going through this turmoil with this person. It's not related to them, not, not a blood relationship to them. And I'm like, dude, you, how do you deal with that? How do you, I mean, how are you so patient? How are you so kind? How are you? He goes, he goes, Antley, I'll tell you. He goes, I'll tell you why, God. It's only God. It's only Jesus. I, I felt like I heard him say something to me one time. He said, I was dropping her off at this location and she was running late. She was walking through the halls. And I was, walk, I was making sure she was gonna get in safe. And as I looked down the hallway, there was nobody around. She was all alone. There's no one else anywhere I could see. And she was walking down this hallway all by herself. And Jesus, I, he said, I felt like I heard Jesus say to me, I want you to be with her.
for her whole life. You will be with her for her whole life because nobody else is. Nobody else is. She was abandoned by her mom, her dad. So on an extreme level, this person has lived out loyalty, not to her, but to Jesus. At some point in his life, he stopped asking the question, Lord, what do you got for me? What do you have for me, Jesus? What have you done for me? Recognizing all that Christ had done and then simply giving out of that wealth, of that blessing that he's received from Jesus. Walking with this person through the messiness of life. That's what it looks like to be a family. We are called to extend grace and peace. We are, we're called to extend God's love and God's rest together. And for many people, you might not know this, but many people who come to our church, there is nobody else. There's nobody else in their life that's offering them that, that's encouraging them, that's loving them, that's caring for them. And so today and for the next few weeks, we'll leave, we'll go forth from this church that we love, asking God's blessing, asking his Holy Spirit to lead us, but knowing that here on earth, God's work, God's love, God's grace, God's passion, God's rest, God's peace must truly be done by us, God's church, God's family. Let's stand. You know, as we end the service, um, we will have uh, cookies to celebrate the dedications out there and juice. We have um, flowers for all the mothers today in an effort to extend our love and grace to them that they need. Oh, do they need it. And our hope, I hope that as you've come today, you've experienced God's love. Right now.